We continue our exploration of all the sections of the Mishnah about the ceremony of the fast days. And we mentioned that there are seven brachot and the Mishnah listed them. And uh, this is these are what they are. Uh, six additional ones. The first one is just an expansion of Goel Yisrael. We're going to analyze the fourth and fifth. The fourth one is, uh, we say, he who answered Shmuel, uh, should uh, at Mitzpah where the Pilishtim came and were uh, were threatening Israel and Hashem answered them and we end that bracha with Shomea Se'aka and the next bracha is about Eliyahu who was answered how to come when he have a when he had a competition with the false prophets of Baal and we end that bracha Shomea Tefillah so Se'aka and Tefillah uh, so here the Gemara is going to switch them. There are some who have it the way we have it in Mishnah, but there are others who say, no, Shomea Tefillah should be the ending of the fourth bracha, Shomea Tzaka, the ending of the fifth bracha for Eliyahu. Okay, why? What would be the difference? Regarding Shemuel, uh, it actually says both in the in the pesukim right in the beginning. It says Shemuel So bring everybody together, and I'm going to pray. And then later on, it says Shemuel come to me and say, please don't be quiet. Uh, from Mizeok, Zeok, and Zeaka and Seaka, with the Zion or Asadi are uh, being treated interchangeably. And so, therefore, since we're in the story of Shemuel, it says both Tfilah and Seaka. So it's uh, both appropriate if you end Shomea Tfilah or Shomea Seaka. Ela, so that's fine if you want to switch them. Ela Seaka but regarding Eliyahu, it says tefillah. It doesn't say the other. Actually, it doesn't say tefillah uh, explicitly either. But it does say that when it was time to present the meal offering, Eliyahu came forward by Igash Eliyahu. And uh, that's a language in another context of coming forth in prayer. So it does say tefillah. It doesn't say the word se'aka or ze'aka anywhere here. And the answer is when he says aneni Hashem, aneni, Lishon se'aka, he doesn't have to have the exact word se'aka, calling out, saying, answer me, Hashem, answer me. That's a crying out. And therefore, it's appropriate to say shomea tefillah or shomea se'aka for Eliyahu or for Shemuel. And that's why you can read it this way and you can read it the other way. All right. And now we continue with the rest of the brachot. David. So six and seven. First, we talk about Hashem, you answered Jonah, so please answer us. And you answered David, so please answer us as well. And the question is the chronological order. Yonah lived after the times of David and Shalomo. David and Shalomo were in uh, around the year 1000 or 900 BCE. And Yonah is in Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, is uh, uh, hundreds of years later, maybe two, three hundred years later. Um, and so what's the, why, why not go in chronological order? Why put Yonah first? 
One reason is because we want to end, the reason is because we want to end the series with Hashem, you have mercy on the land. So that makes sense regarding David and Shalomo, who were the kings of the, of the land of Israel. And we're praying for land, for rain on the land of Israel in particular and, and, and other places, but especially Israel. And so we want to end off the whole series, the rest are more general. Uh, uh, you hear se'akat, filah, etzara, but specifically Malachem al-Adit, so that's where we go out of chronological order. However, there's another tradition that ends this bracha in a different way, not Malachem al-Adit, but rather, Tana mishum sumchus amru, baruch mashpil haramim. Blessed be he, uh, Hashem, who humbles the exalted. And that's a very interesting bracha. Uh, we we have the, this uh, sentiment said in the tefillah and in Berkot Kirat Shema and other places. Um, but so, but what would be how, why would it be a good ending for David and Shalomo? Um, perhaps some of the commentaries say that David and Shalomo both at certain, some points in their lives uh, felt themselves very exalted, and then they came to sin. David with counting the nation, Shalomo with building a huge palace and materialism and marrying many wives and all that. And because of that, Hashem had to teach them to be humble. And so uh, we remember that and we bless Hashem who does, uh, who does such things. All right. That's a, that's a very interesting reading. Okay. The Mishnah continued and said that on the first three fasts, we have the members of the Mishmad. That's the Kohanim are split up into 24 groups. And so that one, that one twenty-fourth, the members of that clan each take a week of the year, um, uh, uh, or, or maybe two weeks of the year. Every twenty-four weeks, that that clan, and then then there's, there's a bet av. The mishmad is split up into seven of a family, a bet av that takes one of the days of that week. So that's a seventh of the twenty-fourth. And so in the first three fasts, the people of the mishmad they will fast, but not complete the fast. Because they're not serving. The people of the Bet Av, the family, they, they don't fast at all. Okay. So now we have a question. How come the people of the Mishmad, why, why do we say that they are allowed to drink wine? Um, uh, this, that, the Mishnah was talking about fasting. But now we're, uh, we're talking about also the fact that they could, can drink wine at night, but not during the day. Because maybe the work for the Bet Av will be too much and they'll rely on the larger clan to come and help them out. So for that reason, anyone in the Bet Av who's working on that, on that day cannot drink in the day or the night because they have to do lots of work during the day and in through the night and it's, it's, it's um, prohibited and it makes the service nullified if they are drunk. And so that's why the, certainly the Bet Av cannot drink at all. The people of the Anshem Mishmad who are not serving that day, uh, it's okay for them to drink at night because they're not doing anything at night, uh, but not during the day because they may be on call. Um, if they weren't on call and they see there's nothing else to do, then they'll be free at night so they could drink at night. And how can we say that the, the family itself that's working on that day they cannot drink not a day and not at night because they are involved uh, all the time in the temple service. There's always something to do and they have to be ready to go and do it. They're not allowed to be drunk. Mi kan ameru, kon kohen 
ויודע שבתי אבותיו קבועים שם, אסור לשתות יין כל התור היום. כי based on this we have a fascinating law that says even when, it's, when the Bet HaMikdash has been destroyed, or even if a Kohen is away uh, during the time of the Bet HaMikdash, and, so he, and he's not serving. Nevertheless, potentially he could be serving. Who knows if the Bet HaMikdash will be instantaneously built uh, today, and all of a sudden that uh, they will have to go and serve. Therefore, any Kohen who knows what Mishmad he's from, and he knows the family, uh, the Bet Av, and he knows that his family was established that they were authorized to serve. There were some families who, uh, who were banned because they did certain uh, bad things, uh, that they said, okay, you know what? Your family can't serve. You don't respect the, uh, the service. Uh, but if you know, you have a tradition that my family served and I know what family and clan I'm from, then uh, you're not allowed to drink that day, even in the future, even in years to come, because maybe the Bet HaMikdash will come down prefab and you're going to have to go right into the service. Uh, okay. Uh, so that's the most lenient. If a person knows the Mishmar, the uh, clan, but he doesn't know what Bet Av, he doesn't know which family he is from, so then he doesn't, he knows what week he'll serve, uh, assuming that we continue the same uh, calendar, but he doesn't know what day he's going to serve, and he knows that they did in fact serve that they uh, are part of the rotation. They cannot drink wine that week. He doesn't know which day, which day he served, but he knows that week. So then every uh, every time that week comes around, around twice a year, then they wouldn't be allowed to drink wine. Um, it means that there must have been a lot of people that kept their the family name and kept the tradition. Oh, this is the week that we would we would serve. However, if someone um, doesn't remember what clan or what family he's from, but he does know that, yes, my ancestors were kosher to serve and they were part of the rotation, then he has to worry all year long. Maybe this is my day. Maybe this is my day. And he cannot drink wine at all. So that's quite amazing that um, that would mean Kohanim. And I think nowadays, I don't think there's any Kohanim that remember what Mishmar they're from. Uh, and so maybe Kohanim cannot drink wine at all. Although they probably also don't have a tradition that their particular family, family did in fact serve and weren't disqualified. But I think uh, uh, they wouldn't want to think that they're disqualified. So what does that mean? Can't drink wine at all? Well, that's what it seems from Tanakama from Rabbanan. However, there is another opinion. Rabbi, that's a Biudanasi, Omer. Omer Aniya, Sudishtot Yain Le'olam. Avamaya said, B says, I agree with you in principle that technically Kohanim would not be allowed to drink wine at all ever because who knows, this might be your day. But this is, it's too much to ask. It's, uh, it's crazy. So Omer, what can we do? Shetakanato Kalkalato. Um, what's the the his benefit is his misfortune. Uh, it would make it makes sense a little bit more the other way around. His misfortune because the person doesn't know uh, what week, what family they're from. So then it's actually helpful to them because if they did know the day or the week, they wouldn't be able to drink wine at all because they don't know anything. We can't ask them never to drink wine. So uh, uh, so so that uh, that's a benefit. Or you could read it this way, takanato, if they would know, 
what family and clan they're from, then that would make life worse for them because then they wouldn't be able to drink wine that day or that week because they don't know. So we have to allow them. It's, it's, it's too much to ask to never drink any wine. And Abaye says, nowadays we look around, we see Kohanim, they're drinking wine. We never met a Kohan who doesn't drink wine because maybe I'll have to serve today. Did you ever meet anybody like that? So who are we following? We must be following the bee, even though he's a minority opinion. Uh, this is the general custom. That's the practice that so we follow the bee. All right. Now, the Mishnah went on and said that the people who are serving uh, during that week, the Kohanim, um, and also the Anshema Ahmad, that's the Levim and Yisraelim, also were designated uh, for e- they were designated for each week um, that they would be the representatives of the nation and uh, would uh, say special prayers in the Beit Hamikdash, or if they couldn't get there at home, they're the representatives uh, for the. Of, of the people that, because you have to be present if you're bringing a korban, individually you have to be present. So to communally, we need some people to be there. Okay, so all those people, the Kohanim, Levim, Yisrael, whoever is designated to be of service that week are not allowed to ha- take a haircut or launder their clothing. But on Thursday they can, because you want to come into Shabbat looking nice, having a nice haircut and having clean clothing. So on Thursday, it's allowed. Now, my ta'ama, what is the reason that they wouldn't, they aren't allowed other days? explains so that they don't, they don't enter, they start on, on Shabbat and they go from Shabbat to Shabbat. So they shouldn't uh, enter into that week of service when they are uh, when they are lo- looking disgraceful, because if they say, "Oh, you know what? I'm, I'll take a I'll take a haircut on Sunday. I'll do the wash on Monday." Right in the middle of the, that's not appropriate. You should uh, prepare from beforehand. So by saying you're not allowed to take a haircut or do any wash that entire week, they will make sure to prepare and go and take a haircut and wash uh, the week before Thursday or Friday, and then they'll start off. Uh, looking their best. Uh, so that's the best thing. We have a similar law regarding Cholamoed that applies to everyone nowadays so that we don't take haircuts on Cholamoed so that we will make sure to get a haircut before. All right. Um, okay, so now more regarding haircuts. A king is, should take a haircut every day. He's got to look his best top-notch every single day. Kohen Gadol, once a week. Kohen Hejot, Echad L'Shushim Yom. A regular Kohen, once every 30 days. Um, so uh, this would overlap with the previous law, right? When he does take a haircut, it shouldn't be on uh, during the week that he's actually serving. Um, so it have to be beforehand, but he shouldn't let himself go more than 30 days without taking a haircut. So what's the source? Pasuk says that you should see the king in his beauty. The king represents the whole nation. He can't look disheveled, right? Until today, you see public officials, they always, you know, always wearing a nice pressed uh, uh, suit and tie or, 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 or dress and their hair is right perfectly. There's people that t- in charge of the wardrobe of uh, the president, vice president, first ladies, because they got to look their best every day. 
כהן גדול מערב שבת לערב שבת, מאי טעמם? אמר רב שמואל בר יצחק, הואיל למשמרות מתחדשות. כהן גדול has to look his best uh, once a week. Uh, what the reason is, so that the entering watch, watch the kohanim that are starting off, will see the kohen gadol for the first time on Shabbat and see him perfectly groomed. So he doesn't have to do it every day because then they, they see him on Shabbat and he's uh, top-notch. And it's okay if he gets, uh, you know, a little bit uh, slightly disheveled by the end of the week, um, you know, maybe a little uh, scruffy, um, but they saw him at the beginning of the week uh, 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 all, all fine. So that's okay. have to, in generally, take a haircut once a month. What's the source for that? We're comparing it to a nazir, because it says the word pera in both places. Let's see the pesukim. This is a pasuk in Yechezkel 44, this is the Haftarah on Parashat Emor. It's a very interesting uh, pedic because some of the laws in, the, in this chapter in Yechezkel uh, don't, don't fit easily into what it says in the Torah. And this is probably one of the reasons that uh, some of the rabbis in, in the times of the Talmud said, we don't understand Yechezkel. We got to put it away and don't and not read it until one rabbi said, no, no, I'm going to explain it all. And he didn't, he collected himself in his room and he didn't come out until he explained all the contradictions. So this is, um, this, that's this chapter in Yechezkel. Uh, so this is talking about a Kohen and it says the Kohanim, their heads shall not be, shall not be shaven and their hair, they should not let grow. To send, it means to allow it to, to go on its own. So uh, the Kohanim have to, on the one hand, they can't shave their heads. On the other hand, they can't have long hair. They have to be perfectly uh, kempt all the time. So that's, and it says the word pera there. Regarding a Nazir, also it says he is holy and he has to let his hair grow. Um, he's not allowed to cut it. So for how long does a Nazir not cut it? For the length of his Nazirut, which is standard 30 days. Just like over regarding a Nazir, generally it's 30, unless a Nazir says otherwise. If you just say, if you, someone says, I, I will be a Nazir, it means 30 days, no haircuts. After, when he's done, he has to take a haircut. So um, uh, unless he says otherwise. So since we, we, we follow that default, and so too, a Kohen, who also says the word pera, on the one hand, he can't shave his head. Uh, so on the other hand, he cannot let it grow. How much? 30 days. So he has to have uh, a haircut every 30 days, which uh, most people, uh, most men take, take haircuts every 30 days. So that's um, till today also is uh, around the time when you start looking like uh, uh, homeless. Okay. Venazir gufe min elan. Now, Nazir itself, it doesn't actually say in the Pasuk how long uh, a Nazir should go for, but uh, if, you, if you don't specify otherwise, then that is 30 days. Of course, Nazir can be anything. You can say, oh, I'm going to be a Nazir for a year or for, uh, for any amount of time. Okay, so Minalan, how do you know that standard is 30 days? They take the word, yeah, 10, 5, 10, and 5, add up the gematria to get 30, so that's 30 days. Okay, this is quite unusual to learn a halacha from a gematria. Gematria is, one of the, is not one of the principles of, uh, of, of midrash halacha, but rather of midrash agada. 
so this is it, this is quite interesting. We're going to see more, more similar uh, problems in a second. Wait, how do you know that when it says uh, that you, you should not let your hair grow, um, maybe it means that you shouldn't let it grow at all. And maybe that means you have to take a haircut every day. Um, right, and so how do you know that you should compare it and say it's 30 days? It's like derived from the order of the of the words. Since it says the verb first, um, do not let grow any. If if it said do not let grow any hair, then the subject would be do not let grow on your head any hair at all. Then I would say yeah, no hair should grow at all. Take a haircut every day. But it doesn't say that. It says hair you should not let grow. So that means there has to be hair in order for, you, for there to be a, a commandment to say, let it, uh, uh, make sure that you um, don't let it grow too much. So that there is allowed to be some hair, just don't let it grow too much. So by putting the word hair first, it suggests that you can let it grow a little bit. How much is that? 30 days. Okay, so now we know that that was the law at the time of the Beit HaMikdash when the Kohanim were actually serving, that they should be, they should uh, look good. However, what about nowadays when there's no Beit HaMikdash? So if a Kohen wants to let his hair grow long, should that, it should be allowed. No. It's the same as drinking wine. Just like regarding drinking wine, only when the Kohen wants to come into the Bet HaMikdash, he's not allowed to drink wine. But if he's not in the Bet HaMikdash, he's allowed. So too, a Kohen, only if he's planning on being in the Bet HaMikdash, he has to have a good haircut. But if he's not coming to the Bet HaMikdash, then he can grow his hair long. It's not a, it's not a law all the time, all, all year long, even when there's no Beit HaMikdash, it only is only when he actually needs to go in. Okay. So, okay, that, what we just uh, saw before solves the problem of uh, yeah, so Kohen, if he's not the Beit Mikdash, can grow his hair long, like he can be drunk. But we saw the halacha that regarding Kohanim drinking wine all year long, that only to be the minority opinion said that uh, what can we do? Kohanim don't know their families. We can't tell them not to not to ever drink wine. So we they're allowed to drink, and nowadays they we follow the B. But what about the other opinion? asri. The rabbis say it's it's not it's not allowed. You're not allowed. The Kohanim cannot be drunk ever, unless they know their family, then in their clan, then they can limit it to uh, just that week or a day. But if they don't know, then they cannot drink have, have wine ever. And the reason is, maybe the Bet HaMikdash will be built at any moment and we'll need the Kohanim to be serving and they, there won't be any because everybody's going to be drunk. Okay, first of all, why is everybody drinking all the time? The answer is that they didn't drink water because their water wasn't pure. So they always had to add some wine uh, to the water so that the um, so that the alcohol would kill the germs. So uh, that was, this was normal normal drinking patterns is you have a little bit of wine. 
uh, and uh, even being uh, slightly drunk is not permitted to come to the Bet HaMikdash. Okay, so that's why they cannot come to the Bet HaMikdash. Uh, that's why Kwanim, according to the rabbis, even nowadays, Kwanim cannot drink wine ever. And so th that's the question. Just like they have to be ready to come to the Bet HaMikdash all the time, and can't drink wine, so we should say the same thing with haircuts. Kwanim today have to get haircuts every month. Why don't we say that? So the answer is, um, Oh, no, it's much easier to get a last-minute haircut. If the Bet HaMikdash should suddenly appear, right, out of thin air, so what's the big deal, right? We'll go to the barber, five minutes, we'll get a haircut, and then the Kwanim will be go ready to go and serve. Um, okay, but uh, if they're drunk, then what are they going to do? So, but that's our very question. Even if they're drunk, they also have a solution. All they have to do is uh, take a little nap, and then they'll they'll feel better. He had a good, uh, some good advice for getting sober. If you walk the, um, if you walk for for a mile, um, this is a Roman mile, a little shorter. Or some, uh, if you walk for a few minutes, and uh, or if you take a little bit of nap, even a short nap, then that uh, reduces the effects of wine. So that if the Bet Hamikdash is suddenly built. We could do the same thing. The Kwanim will go take a little nap. doesn't take very long. And then they'll get up and they'll be ready to go and serve. So then what's the difference? How come they can, how, how come, according to the banan, they cannot drink wine ever, but they don't, they don't have to take regular haircuts. So Nachman says that those things, walking, taking a stroll or taking a nap, that only works if you had less than three ounces of wine. But if you had more than three ounces of wine, then it's not going to help. In fact, it might even make it worse. You take a short nap or take a walk, that's going to make you even more groggy uh, when, when you wake up. And so there's no solution to that. And so that's why, according to the banan, Kwanim have to be ready at all times to serve. And so therefore, they can't drink any wine ever, but they can let their hair grow long because that you just take some scissors and you cut it five minutes and then, and, and then you'll be ready. All right, that's all one answer to the question. Now a second answer. There's a fundamental difference. Someone who is drunk and serves anyway, not only does he violate a prohibition punishable by uh, he also desecrates the service. The service is invalid. So because the service is invalid, the rabbis were extra stringent and said, Kohanim, don't drink wine ever, even when the Bet HaMikdash is not around, just in case. Whereas walk, uh, um, serving with long hair, um, although you're not allowed to enter the, the Bet HaMikdash with long hair, and it's also mitabidesh shamayim, if he does it, the service is kosher. So therefore, the rabbis were less stringent and said, uh, okay, if you want to grow your hair long, Kohanim, when there's no Bet HaMikdash, go ahead, 
as you know, you might get me tabi deshamai, but at least the korban will be okay. <laughs> well, that's you know, it's your responsibility to make sure that you got a haircut. Me question, a challenge to this. The challenge is going to be all the way at, at the end of the b'rayta. So first we're going to quote this long b'rayta. The following are punishable by death in the hands of heaven. Someone who's drunk and comes to the Beit HaMikdash. And someone who has long hair and they serve. Now regarding wine, it says it explicitly. We learned this from Nadav and Avihu. They came right after it says, don't have wine. So we can infer that maybe one of the opinions that their sin is that they came in while they were drunk. But regarding uh, not uh, growing your hair long, what's the source? It doesn't say it in the Torah. It only says it in Yechezkel. Because we saw, you can't shave your head, but you also can't let it grow long. And the next Pasuk in Yechezkel also says, they should not drink wine whenever they come to the courtyard. And so since they're back to back, we make a hekesh, we make a juxtaposition and learn one from the other. Just like some uh, a drunk Kohen gets death, uh, death so too a Kohen who has long hair also deserves the same punishment. Okay, this is very interesting that we're learning laws from Nevi'im, right? Generally, we don't do that, only from the Torah. Uh, there's always exceptions, but we'll address this question in a minute. Okay, umina. Okay, that was the end of the Braita, and here is that now our question. You just said that these two laws are back to back in Yechezkel, so we can learn one from the other, and we learn that the punishment regarding wine, which is said in the Torah. Uh, is mita, and from this, since from a juxtaposition, we learned that the punishment for long hair is also mita. Since you already made this juxtaposition, so why not use it uh, also for the fact that if you are drunk and serve, it's invalid. So too, if uh, you have long hair and serve, also should invalidate the the service. And in that case, it would be the same. And uh, that this is a challenge to Davashe's answer. As we say, la kid kush the mitaudit kush, avala holavodala it kush. No, when we make the hekesh, the Dutch position is only to learn the death penalty, uh, but it's not to learn that it's uh, that it's uh, uh, invalid. Okay, there's no reason given here why you should learn one but not the other. So this is a question. We're going to be able to answer it from the next phrase. Um, here, once again, Ravashe is challenged. In some versions of the Talmud, these are switched. And by switching them, it actually, this is part of the answer to that previous question. So, okay, what we're going to see here is going to be both a question, but also an ultimately a clarification of the of, of why we learn uh, why we learn one but not the other. Question: Before Yechezkel was born, right, and came around as a as a navi, what was the source? That one may not, a kohen may not grow their hair long, right? Yechazkel is all the way at the end of the 
first first Bet Hamikdash. So during that whole time, no one ever they didn't have the book of Yechizkel. So no one ever knew this law. <laughs> it's a really good question. So Ravashe uh, answers back to Ravina, well, according to your logic, what about the statement of Rav Chista? He said the following law, we don't know it from the Chumash, from Tarat Moshe, we only know it from Dibrek Kabbalah, from Nevi'im, the law that uh, someone who is not Jewish or uncircumcised may not come to the Bet HaMikdash. So we, this is a Pasuk in Yechezkel. Before Yechezkel, what? No one knew this law, right? And we had uh, these, this category of people were allowed to come to the Bet HaMikdash? It's impossible. Rather, it was a Gemara, meaning a tradition that we learned. This is very important that the word Gemara, we say it all the time, Gemara means an oral tradition. This is an oral tradition going back before Yechezkel. And we knew this law already. Yechezkel just came and he provided a verse for it so that then you have a support. Uh, when you have something written down, so then it uh, has more strength than if it's only an oral law. But we knew the law already, and Yechezkel didn't make anything up. So that answers the question regarding the um, the uh, uncircumcised people not coming to the Beit Hamikdash, and we can apply the same thing to our case. Here too, regarding the law that Kohen cannot have long hair, we knew this law already. Yechezkel didn't uh, didn't teach it to us. And part of that oral tradition was that um, uh, that he's not allowed the Kohen. Any Kohen is not allowed to have long hair. If he does, he gets the punishment of mitad b'deshamayim. And the same oral tradition taught that. The service is still valid, even if he violates the law and does it with long hair. It's still valid, unlike if he if he's drunk. Not only does he get mita, he also um, invalidates the service. And so, therefore, um, that that actually answers the question up here. How come you learn one thing from the cash and not something else? The answer is because this cash is in any case just uh, backing in on something we already know. We already know from the oral tradition that there's a difference, and this is just a mnemonic device to give it a little bit of support. And therefore, Rabbashe's answer stands, and uh, the reason why, according to Rabbanan, Kohanim, until today, should not drink wine, but can grow their hair long, is because uh, if they, the Bet HaMikdash suddenly appears and they serve while drunk, the service will be invalid, while if they serve with their hair long, the service will remain valid. So the rabbis did not make a gezerah that they have to take haircuts all the time. Okay, super fascinating. And now we get uh, back to the topic of Megillat Ta'anit, this, uh, the famous work that has all the dates of happy happy days. And we're going to read, get to read a little bit of it. Uh, so the Mishnah taught that anything that's written, as there are 36 dates, some of them, all of them you can't fast on. No fasting at all. Megillat Ta'anit, right? We said it should be called Megillat Lo Ta'anit. And, but some of them are even happier days and therefore, you should not even give do any fasting, uh, uh, give eulogies on them, right? So all of them, no fasting. Some of them, also eulogies are not allowed. Now, regarding that more stringent category, 
if it says don't make a eulogy, then not only on that day that's that's listed in Megillat Tanit, also the day before, all no fasting and no eulogies, so that you prepare and uh, keep it on the calendar. Or even the day before, we're going to already start uh, start going in uh, into this happy day. So then we'll uh, we'll uh, emphasize this. It will strengthen it. Okay. Tenoda banan. Now we get to quote a piece of the Megillah. The opening of the Megillah says these are the days on which one may not fast, and some of them, ksat, you also can, cannot make a eulogy. The very first uh, days on, on the list, it starts from Nisan, is from Rosh Chodesh Nisan until the 8th of Nisan. Those are happy days. Itokam timida, because that's when the Korban Tamid was established or re-established. Then behon, and these are the stringent category, no uh no no eulogizing. Let me read the whole thing and I'll explain what they're about. And from the eighth of Nisan until the end of the holiday of Pesach. Uh, which is also in Nisan, also no fasting that whole time um, because that is when the holiday of Shavuot was restored to the correct date and therefore no eulogizing on those days either. So meaning from Rosh Chodesh all the way until the end of Shavuot, no fasting and no eulogies. Okay, what exactly happened on these uh, two dates? Um, this is uh, only gives a short uh, a short bit. You see, the Bavli is quoting the Megillah itself. The Megillah is just a list of dates and two, three words about each. Um, but if you look at them at Megillah Tanit, you'll see that uh, attached to it is uh, what's, what scholars call a skolian, uh, which just means a, a, a longer elaboration. And uh, this, uh, this longer elaboration is in Aramaic and gives a whole paragraph about each of them. I'm not going to read them now, but just summarize what they are. So regarding the Qurban Tamid, the Baitosim, that's uh, they're related to the Sadducees, right? A uh, group, uh, a, a, a sect during the second Beit Hamikdash who only believed in Torah Shebichtav, and they felt they believed that if if an individual wants to sponsor the Qurban Tamid, they're allowed to. And you can imagine, you know, uh, nowadays people uh, will, you know, uh, go on bidding wars to buy Kalnidzev for $10,000 for the honor. Can you imagine how much it would go for if you uh, allowed people to buy the honor of a Korban Tamid on any given day, right? You know, sponsored by the, uh, the Cohen family today. Um, well, I don't know if the Kohanim get, they get it anyway, right? Sponsored by a Friedman family. So um, then, uh, right? So then uh, you, the, the Baitosim said, yes, it's okay. Um, you know, the Baitosim and, uh, and Sadducees, they happen to be the part of the aristocratic, uh, uh, richer section of, of, the, of the people. And so, you know, uh, maybe to uh, placate them, they, they like this law and they could raise a lot of money too for the Betamintash. So they said it's allowed. And the Pharisees and rabbis said, no, it's not allowed. This is a communal sacrifice. It must be brought from the Mahasita Shekel that everybody gives equally. And uh, you're not allowed to individually sponsor the Korban Tamid. You can sponsor your own individual sacrifice, not the Tamid. And so there was a big fight about this. And we know that these were like two political parties. 
they were two political parties. And so sometimes when the Baitosim became, uh, uh, they got more votes, wasn't by vote really, right? When they got more strength, then the Bet HaMikdash followed their law and the Kohen Gadol followed their law. So one, one day, uh, it was in the beginning of Nisan when the Pharisees were stronger and they then uh, stopped that practice. So, and so on. And so then they, and inst- then they were able to reinstitute Machasita Shekel and bring the Korban Tamid from everyone and so that day, when they won on this issue, they made uh, a, a holiday from Rosh Chodesh till, uh, till um, the eighth day. It took them that long to, uh, to discuss and convince them. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is the date of Shavuot, which was a huge controversy. Torah says, which the, which the Baitosim again and Sadducees said it has to be on a Sunday, you start counting Sunday, seven weeks later is always going to be on a Sunday. And they won out for a little while until the Pharisees were able to come back and they brought lots of proofs and, um, and argued and they won. And that, that happened um, from the 8th until, the, until Pesach itself, which makes sense because you have to start counting on the second day of Pesach in order for it to uh, come on, the, on uh, uh, 50 days after that. And so these two great victories, halachic victories, but also political victories, happen during these days, and that's why they are happy days. All right, so we got a little taste for the Megillah Tanit and uh, the uh, really important historical information that's encoded in that work. Okay, Amar Mor, now that you mentioned that, quick question. Right, so we're, now we're just requoting it from Rosh Chodesh until the 8th of the month of Nisan are happy days because they reestablished the Qurban Tamid in the proper way. The question is, why do you have to mention Rosh Chodesh? Rosh Chodesh is a happy day anyway. There's no fasting and no eulogies on Rosh Chodesh. Right, what happens today if someone passes away on Rosh Chodesh? Right, we uh, have to make uh, you know only quick words of Torah. You can't say eulogies. Why not just say from the second of Nisan until the eighth and leave out Rosh Chodesh? Everyone agrees that that's a happy day. And the answer is, No, we want to mention it so that even the day before Rosh Chodesh will know that we don't fast and don't make eulogies. So we're applying this rule that we just mentioned the Mishnah, that if it just says that you can't make a eulogy even the day before. So if it just said Rosh Chodesh, I would think only that day. Uh, Therefore, it says um, that day itself is a happy day. Uh, because of the the victory, and therefore the day before also. Now, wait a second. Even if you didn't include the Megillah Tanit, we know since this Rosh Chodesh is a happy day, so then automatically the day before it would be a happy day too. In other words, why don't we apply the day before rule to all happy days, whether they're Megillah Tanit or not? And the answer to that is Rosh Chodesh Deoraitahu Udeoraita La Ba'ayechizuk. Rosh Chodesh is a happy day from the Torah. The Torah has its own authority and doesn't need us to add extra authority. Everybody knows that Rosh Chodesh is important and they're going to keep it a happy day. So therefore, you don't have to add 
that fence of, uh, of the previous day. Um, whereas the words of the rabbis don't have as much authority of the Torah and people might take it lightly. And therefore we add an extra fence to them so that people will take it more seriously. So for that reason, we want to include Rosh Chodesh in Megillah Tanit to say not only Rosh Chodesh, but even the day before you have to begin uh, the, the happiness of the day. De Tanya. And we learned this rule from this Braita. So this, but according to this Braita, all the days that are listed in Megillatanit, not only day before, but also the day after, are prohibited. We saw that those that was one of the opinions, not all the opinions. Um, but Shabbat and Yom Tov, the only that day is prohibited, the day before and after is fine. Right. I mean, otherwise it would happen every week. Every time there's a there's a funeral on a Friday or Sunday, you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, give uh, eulogies. No, there's no law like that. And what's the difference? And that's the difference we said when it's words of Torah, that's Shabbat and Yom Tov and Rosh Chodesh. They are strong in and of themselves. They don't need us to come and add an extra fence to them. But the words of the Sofrim, the words of the rabbis, they need reinforcement. And that's why, ironically, the happy days from the rabbis are have extra reinforcement uh, or more, more stringent regarding fasting the day before and even maybe the day after than the laws of the holidays of, of the Torah, which is only the day itself. Um, so this is a, a perfect time to be reading Megillah Ta'anit on the first night of Hanukkah. The source of Hanukkah is, in fact, from Megillah Ta'anit. And so, uh, uh, so I wish everyone a uh, Hanukkah Sameach. Baruch Adonai Amen